I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We're going to mostly uh, just focus on verse, verse 3, uh, which was our call to worship uh, earlier. Uh, but I want to read the whole psalm because as the psalmist speaks of God's greatness in verse 3, uh, he speaks of it not in a kind of esoteric or abstract sense, but he speaks of God's greatness in terms of how it affects his people. And this ties into our uh, little series we've been doing on the attributes of God entitled Our God, Knowing Our God. And because God is our God, who he is is very vital and important for us as we live as his people in this world. And so God's greatness is not merely something to speculate about or just to flit in our brains, as Calvin says, but rather that it is something that is to duly affect us and change us and especially strengthen us as we seek to live as his people uh, who are in need of much strength. And so we'll read the whole psalm together, but again, mostly focusing on uh, the verse 3 and its application. Beginning at verse 1, this is the holy and inspired word of God. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open, their hand, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So far from God's holy word, we're going to turn now to the Belgic Confession, which you'll find in the back of the hymnal we sang from. Belgic Confession, Article 1. It's on page 855. And we'll read Article 1 together. So Article 1, the only God. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. So far from our confession. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Uh, as we continue our study of the attributes of God, uh, we come now to the two attributes listed in our confession, namely that God is infinite and almighty, that God is infinite and almighty. Now, throughout the scriptures, you don't typically find the word infinite, uh, but you do find, as we find in Psalm 145, the word great, that God is great and greatly to be praised. And in many ways, when we confess God's greatness, as we do here in Psalm 145, we are speaking of his unsearchable ways. The fact that God is one who is without limits, that God is one who is without bounds, and therefore God is, as the psalmist confesses, great. Psalm 145, verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And so when we confess that God is great, we recognize also that as his greatness is that which is unsearchable, he ought to then be praised by his people. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And this is the confession throughout uh, the scriptures, that God, as compared to anything else, as God compared to any other creature, as God compared to anything uh, in the heavens, even God compared to the so-called false, the gods that are false, of uh, the nations. God is always presented to us as one who is great and one who is the greatest. And that his greatness entails that he is unsearchable. And as unsearchable, it entails that he is one without limits, one whom we cannot measure one whom we cannot quantify, one whom we uh, cannot ultimately contain uh, within our own limits and our own parameters and our own containers that we might seek to put God in. God truly is great and his greatness is unsearchable. And again, we see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, For example, in Job chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, we read, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Throughout the scriptures, God's greatness and his, his, un, his being unable to be searched, his unsearchableness, uh, are tied uh, together. And so we see God's greatness um, not only uh, with respect uh, to his essence, but in terms of all that God does then is qualified as great. Everything God does is qualified as great and unsearchable. And therefore, God is infinite in all that he does. In relation to time, that's why we speak of God as eternal, without, with not contained within the bounds of time, and not limited by time as we are as creatures who exist in a duration of time, right, from moment to moment. But God himself, outside of the bounds of time, infinite, is eternal. God outside of the bounds and limits of space is one who is um, omnipresent, everywhere present, because he's not limited as we are to a specific location, as God is present everywhere. God's power is not that which we can limit, which is why we confess that he is almighty in the full sense of that term. All power belongs to God. There is nothing that God cannot do. As we read about um, in King Nebuchadnezzar's confession in Daniel chapter 4, where he says and he recognizes that that God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases and none can stay his hand or question him and say, what have you done? God's hand cannot be thwarted. He is almighty in his power without limits in what he can do 
And specifically what he can do for his people. It's why we give him great praise. It's why Psalm 145 especially gives him great praise. Because God has done only what he can do. And he has done so on behalf of his people. For example, Psalm 145 says, One generation shall commend your works, the works of his hands, the exercise of his power. They'll commend them from one generation to another and shall declare your mighty acts. God has done what none can do. He has spoken, and, the crea- and all that exists has come into existence. He spoke, and the waters were separated, and land emerges. He speaks and separates the, the heavens from the earth. God speaks, and he forms man from the dust. He's formed our, our, we, us ourselves from the dust, and he's made us as his image bearers. And so we confess God as great in his power, infinite in power, and therefore almighty not only is God almighty but all, and infinite in his power, uh, but also in his wisdom. That his wisdom is beyond all searching. And therefore, when we come before God's word, we come not with our own limitations, saying, well, God must fit into what I can conceive and what I can understand. That's what we call rationalism, reducing God to merely what I can come to understand. But God transcends that. And though God can speak to us in such a way that we might understand him and know something, we cannot claim that we can, can um, comprehend the mind of the Lord. God's wisdom is beyond searching. For example, Psalm 147, a couple of uh, uh, psalms over, in verse 5, again speaks of the greatness of God and says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power, his understanding, his wisdom is beyond measure. And so while the Bible itself doesn't specifically speak of God as infinite, again, by speaking of him and all that he does as great, we recognize that all that he does, all that he is, is without limits. Same is true of his righteousness, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. These are things that are without limits. Even as we begin to contemplate that very mystery, the goodness of God, the mercy of God without limit during this time of year, insofar as the God who is infinite came as one born of a virgin, one who came born a babe, one born here, a a, a mystery beyond mystery, but to see the infinite God showing his infinite goodness in sending his son to come to save sinners. And so, as we think about all that God is, we confess that he is infinite, that he is great, his ways are unsearchable, and uh, therefore we confess uh, that we cannot fully comprehend who God is, uh, and yet we give him praise because of his greatness. And so, as we said earlier, Right? It's not merely enough to make this confession of God from afar and say, well, God is great, and then just move, move along. It's not enough simply to confess that God is infinite in power and in his goodness, in his wisdom, and then simply to go on living as if nothing else that doesn't change anything. But rather, it is the confession that our God is infinite in all that he does. It's the confession that our God is the one who is great. And it's the word our, that that possessive, that makes all the difference. Because that word our begins to press into that covenant relationship that God has with us. 
I will be your God. You will be my people. And therefore, we're to live as people who have the great and awesome God, the one infinite in all that he is, as our God. And that then ought to change us. And that then ought to duly affect us as we live as his people in this world. God reveals these things, just to put a fine point on it, God reveals these things, not again that we might just simply contemplate them, but that they might truly change us. God truly is our God. The one who is infinite is ours. And so that then asks the question, well, how then as his covenant people, those who have God as our God, how then ought it to, how, how ought it to change us when we confess that God is infinite? Well, first and foremost, it ought to cause us to glorify him. That's the main point of Psalm 145, to praise him, to recognize that God alone is infinite. That as his people, we do not uh, attribute that to anything other than God himself. One old Dutch uh, theologian put it this way, that as we think about God's greatness, and as we think about him infinite in all that he does as our God, We are therefore to make him, as he says, great in our heart by always thinking of him great things. Indeed, the greatest things, for he is the one who is infinitely greater than all our thoughts. By esteeming as great, indeed as most great, both him and all that is his, his presence, his favor, his promises, his worship, in such a way that we approach him in all these things, of his with infinite insatiable appetite and desire if god is truly great in our hearts then the worship of him will truly be great as well right we'll come to recognize the greatness of it is of what it is to gather to worship him and to see the magnitude of his worship in our hearts also we're to make him great with our mouths with a great voice in the presence of others We celebrate him who is infinitely great, and indeed we call others to celebrate with us. That which we perceive as great is that which we're going to speak about, right? It's a natural overflow of our hearts. Our favorite sports team wins the World Series, wins the championship, right? And and there's a greatness to that, and and we want to share that. We want to uh, talk about that. We want to write about that. Well, how much more the greatness of our God who has accomplished great things in creation and in redemption, how much more ought we to be inspired to speak about that as we think about the greatness of our God and then to call others uh, to join in the celebration of that, not only with our hearts and our mouths, but also in all that we do in our works. We are to make God great, and therefore we are to go about our work with profound reverence for the infinite deity of who God is, with fear of offending him even in the least things because he is our most great king, we're to do so with careful zeal for obeying and pleasing him and by an infinite desire or concern for possessing and enjoying him. If God truly is great as he is, then we will glorify him with our hearts, with our mouths, with our hands. All that we are will bring him glory. And more than this, the contemplation of God's greatness and knowing that the one who is great is our God also shapes us as those made in his image to be great and to pursue greatness as it is proper uh, for us. Again, to quote uh, this Dutch theologian, 
He had said that we are to be great in our service to God. To pursue greatness in our service to God, not to get, come before him with the leftovers, right? But God always demands the, the full service of his people to take up our labors, to take up great labors for the sake of the Lord. To, to endure great difficulties for his name. To face great dangers for the sake of his gospel. And to do so all with a great spirit, persuaded that God will be our exceedingly great reward as he had promised Abraham. Remember Abraham back in Genesis 15, one whom God had called uh, to leave his land, a, a great task given to Abraham. And what is God's promise to Abraham for enduring such a task, for, for uh, obeying such a great call? That God promised him that he would be his great reward. And therefore the greatness of God calls us then to great service to our God. It also calls us then in our thoughts, our loves, our desires to become great as we set them all upon God himself. The scriptures remind us that uh, eternality, eternal has been placed in our hearts. And therefore when we set our hearts, our desires, our loves upon the things of this world to fill that, uh, we leave empty. We leave hungry, we live thirsty. That's often the metaphor we see throughout the scriptures. Those wandering, wasting away in the desert without anything to satisfy uh, their souls. But it's those made in the image of God uh, and, and created to enjoy Him. And nothing less than setting our affections upon God, raising them to God Himself, are we ultimately satisfied. This was a common way the Puritans would often speak. Uh, the power of a, a greater affection when when they would ask the question, you know, how do I rid myself of, of these desires that are so base and lowly? Uh, how, do I, how do I throw off these sins that, that really are, are, are so contemptible? And they wouldn't say simply by just turning down the, 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 uh, the intensity of our affections, turning down the intensity of our love, but instead by raising our affections and raising our love to God himself. And it's when our affections are set on God that we truly find him to be for us living water, to satisfy us, and to be our all in all. And lastly, it also raises, uh, causes us then, as we think about the greatness of our God, as again, to quote this theologian, all of us should realize that our condition is great as his people. Your condition as those redeemed in Jesus Christ, is a great condition because you bear the image of the great king. The work of God in salvation, the work of God in taking those uh, who followed the serpent and bore his image to now take us, to now bear the image of the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. You bear his image. You belong to him. We are subjects of the great king. We were made, redeemed, and destined, therefore, for great things. So great indeed that we are to set above all great things the work of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, let us put before us, in all of our service to God, God Himself and His greatness, and we might pursue that. Moses did this as he was able uh, to renounce his royal sonship in Egypt in order that he might suffer with the people of God because he saw his own God as greater than the greatness that Egypt could offer him. 
Daniel and his friends were able to uh, reject bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, to refuse to engage in the idolatry of the world around him, to, to, to denounce the greatness of the so-called greatness of Babylon because they had their eyes set upon the greatness of their God. We see the same with the apostles uh, throughout Acts and elsewhere. And so we as the people of God look upon our God who is great and greatly to be praised and our lives then are to be marked as we seek to follow him and live with him as our God with greatness in the service of our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you that you have made that known to us in your word. And Father, we then give you praise as one who is without limits in power and in wisdom, one who is without limits in his goodness and mercy and, uh, towards us, one who is without limits in his love, even as you have shown that to us in giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we think upon you as our great God, May we then live as your people, enduring great things for your namesake, and that in all of these things we would hold and have before us the great promise that you have given us, that you, you yourself, will be our great reward. And so, Father, may we desire that above all things as we live as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.